Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people, to certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet, these people slander whatever they do, not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Ken. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars, for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you 
who follow more natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Do others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveller. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less travelled by, and that has made all the difference. For some of you, you'd recognise that as the first and last stanzas of the poem, The, the Road Not Taken, written by the famous American poet, uh, Robert Frost. The writer is faced with a, a choice, two roads to choose from. He looks down one as far as he can, and then he takes the other one. And they both look pretty much the same. But then he starts to think about the other road and what could have been. He realizes he probably won't get a second chance to take the other road. Now, it's open to interpretation whether this poem ends well or badly. But we'll be often faced with choices in life, some which might look quite similar at the beginning, but that end very differently at the end. And in our letter today, Jude warns his readers about two roads which end very differently. One road is... Uh, following ungodly false teaching. This road leads to death and destruction. The other road is sticking with the gospel that they know and that they've been taught. And this road leads to eternal life. <clears throat> We're faced with decisions about following Jesus every day. Do we sometimes second guess our decision to follow him? Do we get swayed by public opinion that tells us that believing in Jesus makes no sense, that the Bible is irrelevant and it's just a bunch of fairy tales. Well, Jude says sticking with Jesus is more than worth it. Jude says heaven and hell are real, so make sure you choose wisely. Society in Jude's time wasn't you know, much different to ours. There were those who thought that all religions are the same, there were those who were happy to tolerate religion as long as it didn't challenge their way of life. 
And there were those who just thought that God didn't exist at all. Within Christian circles, there were, there were some who overemphasized God's grace and minimized his kingship. What that meant was that they could just continue on sinning because God would just forgive them. And there was a belief that the physical world and the spiritual world did not interact together. Kind of like a, a lad's weekend away. You know, whatever happens on earth stays on earth. So they could do whatever they wanted with their bodies and not be judged for it in the spiritual realm. Today we still have all these different beliefs and people telling us that we're wrong if we believe in Jesus. Either we're stupid or ignorant or terribly misled and misguided by blind faith. So the first thing to note as we come to Jude is that it's written to Jewish Christians Throughout the letter, he uses examples from Jewish history and scripture. And in doing this, he spells out the reasons to choose life, choose a path of faithfulness, one that results in eternal life. So let's have a closer look at Jude. He starts by introducing himself as a servant of Jesus Christ in verse 1 and a brother of James. And for Jude, that's a pretty humble statement considering he was the half-brother of Jesus. But Jude doesn't introduce himself as the brother of Jesus, but as a servant of Jesus. And in a short sentence, Jude highlights the enormity of God's grace shown to all believers. In verse 1, he writes, To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Christ Jesus. It's a view of their past, their present, and their future. They were called from a life of darkness into a life for Christ. They are loved by the creator of the universe, and they're being kept forever to live with Jesus in heaven. It's an amazing statement of their journey from those who didn't know Jesus to those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it's the reason why they have mercy, peace, and love in abundance called by God, loved by God, kept by God. And in verses 3 and 4, Jude explains that he wanted to write about their salva- the salvation that they shared, but he thought it more important to encourage them to contend for the faith because people had snuck into their church and were teaching dodgy things. Jude affirms that the truth of the gospel had once and for all been revealed in Jesus Jesus was and is the ultimate revelation of God to his people. And Jude doesn't hold back when he describes how these dodgy teachers pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. They deny Jesus as King and Lord. There were probably elements of the gospel in what they said, but enough lies to completely destroy the gospel. And it's this situation that's been predicted perhaps since the beginning of time. As he writes, it's been written about long ago. Jude's saying, don't be surprised by this issue, but take the appropriate action. So Jude gives them some real-life examples of sinful behavior and assume that his readers already know their history and their Bible well. He writes in verse 5 that although they already know, he wants to remind them, about the Israelites, about the angels, 
and about Sodom and Gomorrah. They're examples of those who suffer now the punishment of eternal fire. Verse 6 is one of those uh, references in Jude that you might think, where in the Bible does that come from? It speaks of angels who abandoned their dwelling and who are now bound in chains for the day of judgment. Well, the angels could be from Genesis 6, when it says that the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and married them. But that's not 100% clear. What is clear is that whatever they did, they didn't do what they were supposed to. They effectively disobeyed God. And Sodom and Gomorrah were towns in which, which were literally incinerated for their other sinfulness. Amongst the things that they were guilty of were arrogance, opulent living, and unconcern for the poor. But the story in Genesis 19 focuses on their sexual immorality and perversion. And it's this aspect that Jude reminds his readers about. It's this sin that results in their punishment of not just a once-off fire, but of an eternal fire. What these accounts tell us is that whatever it's like, hell is real. There's real punishment for sin and those who rebel against God. These accounts tell us that God's kingship applies to everything. It transcends heaven and earth. It applies to both heavenly beings, like the angels, and to human beings. Because God is above everything. God is the rightful king of everything. He has a right to be worshipped, and he has a right to punish those who don't obey. After this, Jude says that the dodgy teachers are like, these past examples, let's have a look at verses 8 to 10. In the same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, didn't himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they don't understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. These false teachers are, are just like these Old Testament examples. They pollute themselves like the Israelites did. They reject authority like the angels did. They treat celestial beings with contempt like the men of Sodom and Gomorrah did. They're following in the same footsteps and will meet the same fate as those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. And verse 9 is our next, where in the Bible does this come from verse? And it's a bit tricky because it's not from the Bible. Instead, it's from an ancient Jewish text known as uh, the Testament of Moses. And again, probably something that Jude's readers were familiar with if they were Jewish. But it doesn't tell us if Jude himself thought that it was a true story. It, it might be like me saying, the world changes so fast that one day you'll wake up and be like Dorothy and think, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. You see, we can use well-known stories to illustrate a point. So without reading too much into this Michael and Moses thing, 
Jude's point here is that not even an archangel like Michael, as important and powerful as he might be, would have the arrogance to take God's place and rebuke the devil. But instead, he says, the Lord rebuke you. But people among the church, they had the guts to slander whatever they didn't understand and dismiss the things that they didn't agree with. All their understanding came from themselves and not from God. Some claimed back in verse 8 that they had special prophecy through dreams, some kind of new special revelation. But they had nothing to do with God at all. In verse 10, it says that their wisdom came from basic human understanding. I have a friend who prides herself on being able to diagnose medical problems accurately. The only problem is that she's not a doctor, but she's in marketing. And she thinks she's watched enough medical TV shows and read enough opinions online to to do my job, to do a doctor's job. You know, it's, it's okay if she's dealing with a minor issue, but to misdiagnose a serious condition could be literally fatal. You really want someone who knows what they're talking about. Here, Jude says that these false teachers don't know what they're talking about. They don't have an understanding given by God, but they use their own reasoning to make stuff up. These fake Christians are destined for destruction and eternal fire. When we water down the gospel or change it or add things, we're in danger of losing our eternal life. If we think we can somehow be good enough to save ourselves, we're changing what the Bible says. If we pray to someone or something other than God, we're not worshipping God. If we change what the Bible says to suit us because we don't understand or agree with it, we'll end up believing in something that isn't the gospel and end up losing our salvation. To reinforce this point, Jude gives three more examples not to follow. In verse 11, he mentions Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Again, these are from the Old Testament, stories which Jewish Christians would have known. And Jude's saying, look at history and learn from it. I think we're mostly familiar with with Cain, who murdered his brother Abel, and seemed to have no remorse about it in Genesis 4. Balaam was a prophet who was offered gold and silver to curse the Israelites. And you can read about him in Numbers 22 to 24. His error was greed. And thirdly, Korah tried to lead a rebellion against Moses, God's appointed leader of the Israelites, in Numbers 16. And he was swallowed up by the earth. He he symbolizes an attempt to usurp God's authority. These are the types of people these false teachers are. Callous, greedy, and rebellious. They only care for themselves. As it says in verses 12 and 13, these people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who only feed themselves. They're clouds without rain blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. 
wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Love feast sounds a little bit scandalous, but it's actually a term used for fellowship meals in the early church. And it shows that false teachers had infiltrated the church. And for those of you who are a little more visual, I love the imagery of of clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted. Wild waves foaming up their shame. These are empty, useless, dead, out of control. And earlier this year, this was the first photo ever taken of a black hole. Once a star, it fizzled out and died and collapsed on itself, sucking in everything around it, including light. And I imagine in the middle of that black hole is the blackest darkness. In one sense, stars were used to light the way, to give direction and to guide. But these wandering stars lead people astray. And instead of providing light, lead people into darkness. So these are what false teachers are like. And what's reserved for them is judgment. Our last quote, uh, our last, sorry, where in the Bible does this come from, verses uh, verses 14 and 15, where Jude quotes Enoch, one of Adam's descendants. He writes, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord's coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Again, you won't find this in the Bible, but it comes from a Jewish text called uh, the Testament of Enoch or One Enoch. And like I mentioned earlier, instead of focusing on whether Jude thought these were actually real accounts, let's focus on his point. Jude is saying that judgment of these false teachers is sure. People who grumble, find fault in others, who look out only for themselves, who boast about themselves, or manipulate people for their own gain, They'll be punished. That's guaranteed. So don't be like them. So in verses 4 to 16, Jude's telling us what ungodly people look like and their fate. Judgment is coming. Hell is real. Jude warns his readers to watch out for people like that. Learn from history and don't end up like them. And if you're feeling a bit sort of depressed and it all seems pretty bleak, finally there comes a but in verse 17. And this is the light in the darkness. This is the encouragement of the type of people they are to be. Jude reiterates in in verses 17 and 18 that they shouldn't be surprised by this stuff that he's written about because they were warned about it by the prophets, similar to his point in verse 4. And again in verse 19, he writes that the people who divide the church follow their own natural instincts and not the Spirit of God, similar to what he wrote in verse 10. He then encourages them to keep building themselves up and praying in verse 20. They already shared salvation. So now they had to keep themselves in God's love 
and keep looking forward to the eternal life that they had with Jesus from verse 21. Now you might be thinking that these verses seem a little bit self-centered. You know, Jude writes, but you build yourselves up, keep yourselves in, bring you to eternal life. And in light of Jude condemning those who were just looking out for their own interests, it seems a bit ironic that now he's saying, look out for your own interests. But verses 22 and 23 temper this and show again that the community of God's people love and care for each other. Jude writes in verses 22 and 23, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. Jude is saying here that they should show love and mercy to those who are struggling with their faith. For example, they might start to doubt what the Bible says or feel pressure from family and friends to not stick with Jesus. Others who might actually be involved in dodgy teaching, they too should be rebuked and saved from the fire by being lovingly rebuked and corrected. But there might be some who won't turn from their ungodly ways. They're still to be shown love and mercy, but it's clear if it's clear that they're not going to change, they must be feared. In other words, be wary of them. Otherwise, they might pull you in onto the road of, to death and destruction. This is what contending for the faith looks like that Jude Jude wrote about in verse 3. They're to watch out for dodgy, false teaching. They're to keep themselves in God's love. And they're to help those who are being swayed by false teaching. And this is easier said than done. In fact, it's impossible to do on our own. But our final two verses give us the reason why it is possible. And Jude ends with one of the great doxologies in verses 24 and 25. Let me read this out. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God and Savior be glory, majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. It's God who keeps us from stumbling. It's God who, from verse 1, has kept us for Jesus. It's God who allows us to contend for the faith and to present us holy and without fault. It's the one and only God who saved us through Jesus. That's why he deserves glory and majesty, and power, and authority. He's the God who called us. He's the God who loves us. And he's the God who keeps us. You know, Jude lays out before us two roads. But unlike the poem by Robert Frost, there's a road which we will never regret not taking or ever wondering where it would have led. Because Jude tells us plainly where these two roads lead. One leads to joy and eternal life. The other leads to eternal darkness, death and destruction. 
We have a gift more precious than anything. The gift of salvation and eternal life in Jesus. We need to guard this gift like our lives depend on it. Because our eternal lives do depend on it. Jude says, choose wisely. Choose to love and serve God. Choose life. 